If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. You know, when it comes to hunting pronghorn, having multiple tactics in that bag of tricks is really important. In part one of Fast Die Last, we talked about hunting water holes for lope. Now in part two, we're going to look at pronghorn's adapted advantage and how to beat them using spot and stock tactics. We're going to review some of my favorite strategies, including using terrain, getting low, and shadowing a group as ways to get close enough for a shot. But before we do that, I want to tell the story of a pronghorn hunt where I probably had the most fun and also the most frustration. You know the saying, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take? Well, on this particular hunt, I missed 100% of the shots I did take. This hunt takes place in Montana during the archery pronghorn season. It was two years ago, and over the years, I've I feel like I've become a very successful bow hunter. A lot of the hunts that I go on, I, I find success and I get to share those stories here. But I don't want this platform to just be my greatest hits, right? Because sometimes things just don't go right. You do everything right and things don't come together. This particular hunt, I, I felt like I was on a heater. I had just come back from taking the biggest bull elk I'd ever shot. I went out elk hunting in Montana and decided with my trad bow and passed up some really good opportunities because I was like, man, I, I've killed a big bull. I got plenty of meat. Maybe I should just go out, have a good time, chase some pronghorn. Cause I was thinking like, there's probably not going to be a bull that I'm interested in taking because I just, you know, you're just like, I was still living on the high of shooting the best bull in my life. And I'm like, all right, to now go chase a different bull. I thought, well, it would be fun to go chase pronghorn and i've had a lot of success chasing pronghorn 
it's one of those things like I, I in the past had always claimed like, yeah, I just go out in a day and I had this thing where I would go out in a day and make it happen in a day in between elk hunting. It'd be like September and I'd just pick a day where I'd take off elk hunting, go shoot an antelope, have a good time, whatever. It had a pretty good streak going. Well, this particular year, this is between when I realized that my wrist was injured and it hurt all the time and had a surgery scheduled, but for after the season. So I could draw my bow. It wasn't a problem, but it was sort of painful. And we'll get to that part in a minute, but I'm not making excuses, but you got to factor this into the story. So I go to a place that I like to chase pronghorns and there happened to be some years there's antelope everywhere some years there's hardly any this particular year there was some good antelope around it was the best i'd seen and i was pretty excited to take a good buck and i think i got in my head too of like i was already picturing antelope steaks horns <laughs> like i was just already picturing boiling some skulls and eating some antelope steaks big mistake so i go out and the first day i find a, a really good buck better than better than average and he's out in this big open flat like they like to do and just do not was not putting himself in a good position but he was in with this giant herd and there was other pronghorn around so i decided i'm like okay there's this little bit of topography there's this water hole but there's so much water out there there's like a couple water holes that they were using but as more the does seem to be using it at least in in the past. And then there's like a, a whole creek running through the middle of this big plateau where they could just drink anywhere they wanted. So sitting water wasn't an option. Stocking was my option. Now, the, there's like a big opening, and I'd call it almost like a lek, like where, think about, like it's there's a little bit of sagebrush, not tall sagebrush. And then there's just this open, like grassy spot. I don't even know, like where maybe you'd see sage grouse mating like just nothing no cover at all and of course the pronghorn are out in the middle of that and this big buck is in charge so my thought was there was a couple little divots and almost like your it would be like where they'd run irrigation but it was dry but it like for i don't even know what the point of this would be it was not very deep like not where you could conceal your body but enough little bit of topography where i could use that to get out to this one spot and get close to the herd. So my thought was I was going to get to the nearest cover and then just see what happened. So I crawl in and as I'm crawling up, I get to the the last, I'm using this one bush, is this one piece of sagebrush that's probably the size of, I don't know, three large watermelons. <laughs> that's a good reference. And I, I use that to crawl in and as I'm using that to block the herd and as I get up there, I realize that an antelope was coming my way, a doe, and it bedded down, plopped down right in front of me, like 25, 30 yards away. Thinking this is exactly what I wanted to happen. I wanted to get into position and then hope that they move closer to me or maybe they move off and it gives me an opportunity to make another play. So that antelope's there and I'm just laying there waiting, seeing what happens. And I'm laying, waiting, waiting, waiting. And another antelope buck actually comes in from the right side where is completely almost the way that I came from. And he comes in, sees this doe, and he must see this herd out there, and he's going to go make his move. So he comes in, and I get set up. I set my pin. He's like 35 yards, and I think, I'm just going to wait him out. I'm just going to wait because 
I've got time. I chose that I'm like, I'm going to have fun. I'm going to chase some pronghorn. I'm going to try to get a good buck. And this was a night, this was an antelope buck that I would have shot any day, any other time, but I saw the best one I've ever seen. So I'm going to wait. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. And he like goes and beds right next to that doe. And then he starts like gets up, starts moving around. The bigger buck sees him and starts moving toward this other group of does that had moved in behind that buck. So now I'm kind of getting covered up in antelope. So the big buck comes in and he starts working and he he's like, there's some does out there and he gets to about 65 yards. And I think, perfect. This is great. Everything's working out. So I hook my release on the, the D-loop. I'm like, okay, this is going to work. And he starts to like get distracted and do that little where they get their head and start tearing up a little bush. So he's tearing up this little bush, marking his territory. Perfect time to draw. I feel like I'm probably going to spook some of these other antelope, but there's no other option, right? So I, I, I draw back in this way that is semi-painful because I'm like trying to draw almost laying down and out of sight behind this bush and then get into like a sitted position i anchor and i put the pin where i want it to go it's fairly windy and i shoot and that arrow sailed so far under that buck's belly that i mean it just like skipped across the dirt and i just immediately realized that i got so focused on laying there in the buck i hadn't done this in a very long time I forgot to reset my pin. So I set it for that other smaller buck that came in and stupidly never reset it. I was just so focused on like, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot this thing. I mean, like that is the dumbest mistake. And still, I hadn't made that mistake. I don't know if I'd ever even made that mistake. I've done it maybe once or twice when I was learning to shoot with a single pin and just missed an antelope because I didn't set my pin right. So... Miss one, the antelope run off, bummer. So I then continue to hunt and I keep thinking about that buck and I, I see other bucks and I sneak in and they're just, I was like, okay, I, I can't really just target that one because I don't know if I'm going to find him again. So I sneak in and there's another good buck that I was like, okay, this will be, this will be good. And this is like a day or two later. And it's in a perfect spot. I decided to go to some of this place where I've been successful before. It has some really good stocking opportunities if the antelope are in the right place. Well, I see these pronghorn in this spot bedded below almost like a like a water, essentially a water ditch that's empty. It's a dry ditch, and it is a perfect concealment. It's above them. They're, it's a hill. I can shoot down. Everything's going to be great. So I get into position, and I crawl in get set up and they're bedded but they're just a little bit out of range so there's no cover for me to get any closer and i just decide i'm just gonna wait and so they get up from their bed some of the antelope feed away and one couple of the does feed toward me well the buck gets up and he chases the other does and so he's like running 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 doing his thing and now he's like a half a mile away and i still have some does right below me so i'm like well there's still live bait here. I'm just going to wait. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing happens. And then all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, the buck decides, I'm going to go after those does. And he just hightails it right toward the does right below me. They're, or within what I consider 
range, but right at the edge of where I want to be shooting. They were like 75 yards. So maybe they were 80 yards. I can't remember. So the buck comes in, I range it and he's like 80 yards. And then, so I go to draw back. And as I'm drawing back, I pop back up and he's not there anymore. And I'm like, okay, where is he? Well, it's not the easiest to draw. Like letting down's hard, drawing back's hard. Like when I draw back because of that wrist problem, it's like, I'm going to be shooting. And now it's in my head. Like, I, what's going on? Well, the way that the slope was, he had in between me drawing out of sight, standing up, he walked closer to the hill. I'm like, crap. So I decide it's just going to be better to rearrange him, let down. So I let down out of sight and that, being not super controlled, it was a little bit faster, let down and made like a noise. Now he's on alert. So I pop back up. He's at 45 yards. I set my pin. I draw back. There's a lot of like extra noise, extra, a little bit of extra grit in there. My wrist popped really loud. I don't know if he heard it. I definitely heard it. And I settled it, like get everything ready out of sight, slowly stand up. Well, of course, he noticed something and he had at that point from being at that 45 yards or whatever, walked out to, I don't know, 55 yards. He like moved 10 yards further. And I just didn't even, I didn't even make, cause like when I popped up, I barely wanted to see. So I had no landmark reference of where he was. I put my pin in, I shoot and under the buck again, you know, they say you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take. This, I just felt like no matter what I was doing, whatever I did, the antelope was in a different position and I continued to miss. Fast forward that hunt, I actually ended up missing another pronghorn in a similar way. Good stock, misrange it, missed again. And so I just was like, that was the end of my time to hunt. I came out of that season with no antelope buck, but I did get a lot of good stocks in and had a lot of fun. And that is definitely one of the frustrating things about chasing pronghorn with your bow. You can do everything right or what seems to be right. And it seems so easy, like they're just right there. And then if you don't connect with that arrow, well, you go home eating tag soup. I try everything in my power to not let that happen most years. But this particular year, it just happened and happened and happened again. And I don't regret it, but uh, it was definitely a good, once again, just like a good wake-up call, a good learning experience. But the thing that I did like or took away was I got a lot of stocks in. I, I got to chase a lot of pronghorn. I got to make some mistakes, and I got to do some things right as far as getting in close and getting into range. As with most species, I first, when we're talking about strategy and hunting pronghorn, I want to first talk about some of their adapted advantages that make them very unique, but also present certain challenges. And when we understand these advantages that they have to stay safe from predators, then we can kind of understand, okay, what are some of the ways that we can take advantage of this particular advantage? So their advantages, I think, first and foremost, is their eyesight. They have incredible eyesight. It's been related to having 10 power binocular vision. So if you think about your 10X binoculars, if you can see them, they can see you. They use that vision as a defense mechanism. And because of that, they live in very open terrain where they can see. Now, their other best defense is their speed. They run away. We talked about it in part one, the fast die last. 
they use that speed to avoid predators. So something it can see really well, and then once they see you can run away, makes it very difficult to get close. So we have to look for those things that we can trick essentially their primary sense, and that's their eyesight. When it comes to hunting pronghorns, their nose, like you, yes, you will get winded. They aren't um, going to stay there if the wind's blowing directly at them. But in those swirling wind conditions, I feel like I get winded by pronghorn way less than any other species. And where they live often lends to more stable winds anyway. So you can often get around the wind a little bit easier than places like hunting in the mountains. And also their ears, like them hearing something if they're bedded in your close hearing something definitely puts them on alert but i wouldn't say that it's like a mule deer where you have to be so quiet i rarely ever take my shoes off on a pronghorn stock because for the most part sometimes that a little bit extra noise doesn't even phase them or it doesn't reach their ears to where they perceive it as danger they really really trust in their eyes and their eyesight so it's very important to understand that because that is the basis of all the the e-scouting that you could do of identifying okay what kind of terrain do they want well they're going to want that open terrain where they can use their eyes where they can see but also thinking of it that's their advantage now it's a disadvantage when that particular sense is blocked in some way so that's what we're going to talk about is, is thinking about some of the options for stocking pronghorn and how to successfully pull off a stock on pronghorn antelope. Now I'm going to be focusing this a lot on archery hunting because that's the hardest because you have to get the, the, the closest, but rifle hunting can be very difficult on pronghorns as well, especially when they were chased around with bows for a while, or there's been a lot of hunting pressure. Getting in rifle range can be difficult later in the season. And it can be difficult at any time sometimes because they're going to use that terrain. And the, the bonus of being able to rifle hunt them is you can hunt some of that more open terrain because you can reach out a little bit further. But so there's going to be some really good bucks hiding that are almost untouchable with a bow but might be doable with a rifle or barely doable with a rifle but worth giving it a try because you can that like range that you have to close into is obviously greater with a rifle so these tips are for both bow hunting and rifle hunting pronghorn and pretty universal i think that when it comes to spot and stock pronghorn hunting the spotting is the easy part that's not really the part that you have to worry about they live in the open they like places that you can see real well that means that you can see real well You've also got the option of 10 power optic eyes. So you can scan that country, look for that. I mean, they've got white coloration. It, it stands out in a lot of the country that they're in. They use that to identify each other over long distances, which really helps. The other bonus to hunting pronghorn is they're out a lot during the day. Like they move around. Uh, they, they move definitely in the mornings and the evenings a lot, but they'll be up in the middle of the day doing their thing. If you're hunting during the rut, they'll be chasing each other around. They're doing a lot of moving. They're moving different places, feeding. They're in big groups. They can be fairly easy to find. But the other part is there can be a lot of antelope country without any antelope, depending on where you're hunting. So when it comes to spotting antelope, I really think about just using the resources available, spending time looking for a place to hunt. And what I mean by that is like, covering a lot of country often i'll do this in a vehicle a lot of pronghorn country has access to roads or is close to multiple roads because it's flat and it's easy to get roads there 
I'm not saying hunting from the road, but I am saying using those roads to find a place to hunt. And there is a difference because what I'm doing is I'm looking for that suitable terrain and I'm looking for concentrations of animals and maybe even looking for pockets or type of terrain that has more broken country that I think that I would lend itself to blocking that eye a little bit better, but still has antelope. Now that kind of country, there's fewer antelope in. So I might spend a lot of my time moving around, covering a lot of that country, using the tools at my disposal to say, okay, I'm going to preview a lot of different places and see where the concentrations of these animals at, because there's something that they might like about that one particular spot. Then when I figure out, oh, this is somewhere that these pronghorn are using, then I look for those pockets of good country that maybe you can't drive near. Those places that have antelope, but where it's not just right off the road. So I can get a little bit away and I can do my thing and get those ones that aren't seen from the road, that haven't had as much pressure, that are maybe even a little bit more broken country where it lends itself for better stocking opportunities, especially when it comes to a bow. And I might adjust that a little bit when it comes to rifle hunting. But the goal is to look over to have a lot of opportunity to have a lot of stocks. My philosophy when it comes to pronghorn spot and stock is just number of opportunities, stock after stock after stock. I want to continually be going on stock, going on stock, going on stock. If I blow it, oh well, I'll go after the other one. And I don't know the blowing it to harvest ratio in a lot of days that I've been successful, I might do five, six stocks and shoot an antelope. There's other days where I might only get one stock and I it's lower density and I really want to make that one stock work. Um, but I would say like five, six stocks is pretty standard maybe some guys more, maybe some guys less. Pretty standard of like, try to get as many stocks as possible. Two in the morning, two in the night, a couple in the middle of the day, whatever you can get. It's good to have those stocks and options. And if you blow it, go find another stock. So when it comes to the stock, let's now talk about the things that I take advantage of. And this is kind of a review of things that I've talked about in the past and questions and other stuff. But it's good to also have that refresher on it. I like to personally take advantage of any terrain I can find. And that might mean it could be very open country, but hey, there's like this creek bottom river system running right through the middle of it. That's some that's some terrain in a very flat place. It doesn't have to be mountainous all the time, but I'm looking for those little tiny advantages. Because if I see a pronghorn that's out in a place that I think there's no way to stock that right now, but I'm just really like spending all my time trying to crawl in on this one. Sometimes that works out. Most of the time it doesn't. I might be wasting my time when I could go find a piece of terrain that allows some stockability and assess like, yes, this is a really good place to pull off a stock from. Now let's find some animals around it. Maybe another thing is like area that has a little bit of rim rock country where it's a little bit broken up. Maybe some areas that are more mountainous where it offers a little bit of terrain. Uh, opening was like here's some tall sage in mixed with that real flat open uh, grassland prairie country other types of terrain don't even have to be physical features but just more like vegetation here's an area with more vegetation i actually took a pronghorn in a it was like a field that had been like an i wouldn't say it was like an agricultural field but it was like a essentially like a grass field where the grass was so tall that I could literally be completely concealed the entire time crawling in. Just that amount of grass in that one particular area allowed me to get within 30 yards of an antelope that was just feeding in that grass. So taking advantage of anything that can conceal your body and hide you from their eyes. The biggest 
factor in blowing a pronghorn stock is getting spotted. So you have to do everything in your power to not get spotted. When it comes to the stock, I opt to get low. I do a lot of crawling and I see so many hunters that really don't commit to getting low enough. They're like, okay, we're going to hustle through this. We're going to be bent over because it's a little bit faster walking. And you look at the terrain that they're at, you know, that antelope just picked you off from a mile away. And whether they ran then or they're going to run later, they know you're there. I opt to not get spotted at any point during the stock or hunt. If there's an antelope that knows I'm there, I often try to figure out a different, like give it some time or go find something else. Because if they know you're there, the game's kind of over for the most part. Now, getting low is a way to stay concealed in very little vegetation. I've crawled in some very, very open places just using a bush or two, essentially belly crawling the entire way in. It's tedious. Like you're probably more sore after that than hiking 20 miles in the mountains because your neck's at a weird angle, your shoulder, everything gets thrashed. But getting low, taking the time to get low, makes a big difference in not being seen being lower than that level of perception for the antelope and maybe even not looking like a potential predator if they do kind of gaze your way so getting low is a huge factor in getting close to pronghorn now there's another factor that i like to talk about and that's the speed at which you're going when you're crawling and things are in the open you got to go slow when you're concealed you have to go fast One of the things that pronghorn do is they can be erratic, especially during a lot of archery seasons. It might be during a rutting phase where they see an antelope a mile away and then they they were in a good position and then they ran away. You really want to make your move on a pronghorn while it's in a good place. And sometimes that doesn't last long. It can go from what I think of as zero to 60. That's the pronghorn lifestyle. (laughs) It's like you're either stopped or you're running. And so they'll be in one place, they'll see something that they want over there, and then they run. And they might do that same thing your direction. Sometimes it works out in your favor, but it's hard to predict. Uh, They like to move around. So when I have an opportunity, when let's say I'm following a herd, I'm crawling, I'm crawling, crawling, they get up and they walk over a little rise, I waste zero time. I get up and I go as fast as I can to the point before I'm getting seen and then everything slows down again. So it's going fast and going slow. Going slow in the right time when you're exposed, when you're moving across very open country, when you're getting in really close, that's when you go slow. All the other times when you're out of sight and you need to get to where they are now, that's when you go fast. Last week, we talked about hunting water. Now, I've utilized water in areas where there's a lot of water through spot and stock. And what that means is like an area where there's a long creek and they can drink anywhere. Sometimes I'll I'll follow the antelope, I'll watch them. And I know that, okay, they're going to this particular water source. If that water source has some kind of obstructed view, like many times they drop down and they go into a a divot where it's a water hole or there's a creek bed or whatever, this can be a really good place to cause a distraction to block their eye when they're actually drinking they can be on high alert but catching them coming and going or making a move faster as they're moving into this particular area can be very successful i've actually taken a lot of pronghorn by figuring out potential places that they like to drink using a spot and stock tactic then when i see them go into those places making my move these are places that i actually will often figure out good routes into ahead of time so as i'm like hiking around looking in an area i'm like oh here's some water 
And I think to myself, okay, well, I found one last year where there was a berm behind it, like where it had been dug out with a tractor. So it created this water hole out in the sage flat. It was a rain catch system. So sometimes it has water, some years it doesn't, but there was multiple ones of these everywhere, plus a little creek that fed through the valley. However, there was a lot of tracks around this one. I thought, okay, if I see antelope heading toward this one, I will use this berm as my block. I'll go around this way. I can move in, and then I can try to catch them as they're coming or going. The berm was far enough away where, you know, you wouldn't be shooting them on the water. But as you see them, okay, now I can go commit and make a stock to this. But I don't have to sit there all day waiting for them to come to this one water source when there's so many other options. And then understanding the other options around. But using that distracting point as a good time to block that main sense of the eye when there's maybe some good obstructions around near that water. Another thing I look for is a bedded antelope buck. When they bed, they put those eyes a little bit lower. They're on high alert, but they can't see as far. And just like any other animal, they get distracted when they're bedding. They can they get relaxed sometimes. Sometimes they doze off. I rarely see antelope sleep. They just they don't need to sleep that much. And that's one of the reasons that they've stayed alive so long. So when they're bedded though, those blocks become a lot easier and it becomes easier to crawl in. The majority of bucks that I've got into position on are one of two ways. It's either bedded or it's shadowing the herd. And that's what we're going to talk about next. But finding those bedded bucks, making good play while it's bedded is a really good way to kind of trick the eye because their eyes are a lot lower. So you're going to move in in those advantageous times when, hey, they can see, but they can't see as well as they could when they're standing up. And I try to make it those actions when I'm far away fast. And then as I get closer, go a lot slower. The one thing about pronghorn is they, their eyes are, if you think about like, look at them, their eyes are set pretty far back on their heads and they almost bulge out. And what that does is that causes 300 degrees of field of view. So that means that they can nearly see behind their head. Pretty much the only place they can't see is right behind their ears. You know, that 60 degrees of directly behind their neck. They do have eyes in the back of their head. So the big challenge when you're spot and stock antelope hunting is how do I get drawn back and, and get a shot on an animal that can see so well? There are a few advantages that I've noticed, and maybe you'll notice this too as you get, uh, if you haven't done a lot of pronghorn hunting, maybe you'll start to figure this out. There's this time where you get in close and you can kind of gauge the temperament of the antelope. Sometimes they're on alert and they're actively looking. Just because they can see doesn't mean that they're always looking. So you need to make those movements in the fringes, the drawing and all that very out of sight. So I try to draw, sometimes I'll draw like laying down behind a bush. I get set as best I can and then I slowly rise up. That slow rising up isn't like a real fast movement and it does work, but I also try to make it where, okay, they're distracted a little bit or they aren't paying as much attention. I have noticed that when you get into a certain range, it's almost like they see past you. They've got really good vision for far away, but up close, if you have good camouflage on and you use your movement very slow, you can often get settled enough to get your shot. Like if they're distracted feeding, if they're bedded looking away and, and kind of focusing on other things, they don't necessarily perceive that particular movement in close all the time as a threat. Now, you don't want to do anything stupid. You don't want to draw back in sight. You don't want to draw back even kind of behind them where they might catch that big mo movement in motion. But getting drawn out of sight 
getting settled and then slowly coming anchored, ready, settle that pin and shoot. I've been super successful doing that. It is the hardest portion of the stock. You do all that work to get so close and then you have to get into a position to make a shot. With a rifle, it's a lot easier because you can be laying down, you can be out of sight. You don't normally get busted when you get within range. It's more rifle hunts you get busted getting into range. Bow hunts you get busted when you are in range, uh, when you're trying to take a shot. So just really looking at the temperament of the animal, how they're reacting, and then know fast movements in sight and very slow steady movements once you need to make that shot oftentimes it can be pulled off and you can be successful that way now the last tactic is what i like to think of as shadowing the herd so you think about pronghorn and they're in the open there's a lot of things that they keep to their advantage right you might sneak in with your bow you've got to get you want to get 50 yards or less and the nearest cover is 150 yards. I can You can get to 150 yards of a lot of good pronghorn bucks. Doesn't mean you can get any closer for the most part. And there's like this, there's this zone and it's, it's hard to get within that 150. It's really hard to get that last hundred. So there's oftentimes what I'll do, especially when they're in herds, is I'll, I'll get into position and I just get to as close as I can and I wait. And I play this patience game where then they get up, maybe they move, maybe some of the does move off or I see where a couple of does are moving and then, oh, those does are moving to a better location. Well, I get into position for those and I'm not actually stalking the one buck, but I'm stalking the herd and trying to remain in proximity to them where I just shadow what they're doing. So as the herd bet, like maybe I'm stalking in on a bedded herd, I get to that 150 yards and I just hang out. I just chill, I just wait. Then they get up and they start feeding. Let's say they start feeding in whatever direction and the buck's just, chasing some does around but the majority of those does are just doing their thing now every once in a while they blow out of there they run away and if they do that then i just continue to follow and i'll just continue to follow in those safe distances and i'm waiting for two particular things so the first thing is i'm waiting for them to mess up and go into a place out of sight where i can then get closer which happens you'll be following and following and following them no good stock no good stock no good stock okay now i can only get 300 yards now i can get 150 whatever i'm just keeping myself in proximity then they go and they drop themselves over a little rise and i can practically run to the edge and get a 40 yard shot that happens a lot the other thing is as they're moving around milling around you catch them breaking the distance to you where hey they're out there 150 yards but there's two does that walk right to you and bet it 50 yards away and then that buck comes and decides to check those does and that is a really good position to be in because you're already close enough to the herd where you're shadowing them and then one of them messes up or another one comes in and you're in a position where they're unaware of you and you're kind of mixed in with the herd so you can often get that shot because there's other things moving around if you do it in the right time and the right timing and by doing that i've found the majority of my success hunting pronghorn where it's like i'll follow them i'll follow them i'll follow them i'll follow them might be a half a day all day kind of thing and then they just do something where it gives me the advantage and i just immediately take advantage of that so that's that staying low then in the right time going fast shadowing them and then making my move when the opportune time strikes and that is the way that you can really put together successful pronghorn hunting especially when it comes to spot and stock hunting with a bow now, one last note, 
to pronghorn hunting, I think comes with the shot. I told a story of missing shots and you know, it, it does happen, right? It happens to all the best of us. One of the things that I have found in years is like those really open terrain, you often lends itself to further shots. It lends itself to windy conditions and it lends itself to a weird shooting position often because you, you're shooting from a very low position. So you're either going to be sitting or on your knees in the preseason prep. One of the things that I like to practice is I've got, I've actually got like a 3d pronghorn target. And this is one of my, it's on this flat part of the, where I shoot. And I, I shoot a couple of ways. So the first is I practice the drawback of like the weird, awkward drawback and then the getting into position slow and shooting either sitting or kneeling. And the first step that I've learned to make those shots really well is adjusting your body position before that drawback. You need to have kind of all those motions down. One of the things that's caught me off guard a lot that I've noticed when I've made misses on pronghorn, it's because I felt like I couldn't get a good, like I couldn't draw in a good position. And I, so I draw back, I'm sitting, but the way that I'm sitting lends itself to a lot of torque on the bow from bad body position. So think about setting your knees first, even if you're laying down, like setting your knees, getting everything right, that bent over position, lining your knees up like you were standing. If you were to stand, you know, you'd have your feet, let's say you put a yardstick across your feet, it'd be pointing right toward the vitals of whatever you're shooting. But if they're the other way and your body's all tweaked around and torqued around, you're putting weird torque on your bow. When you do that, it further shots with a little bit of all these variables, animals, whatever, excitement, all that stuff, you take what would have been a good shot and make it a bad shot. So that's something to think about. And that's something that in many times I haven't really, uh, I, I mean, I obviously think about it a lot, but there are times where I feel like the times that I've made mistakes, that's the primary mistake. So I do practice that a lot where I'm, I'm shooting from my knees, a kneeling position, all different kind of seated positions and learning, okay, how to set your body, how to draw, how to, how to get into position, because that's the part that most people fumble at. I've hunted with a lot of different people, pronghorn hunted, and, and you see all the mistakes. And it's like, I see so many people blow it in the, like, you finally got close enough and you drew back like an idiot and they ran away, or you drew back and you didn't even think about setting your body position. And then you've got this crazy torque on your bow and you just make a bad shot. And that happens a lot too. So doing those kind of things before you get out in the field, before you're practicing, before you're spent all day crawling across the barren landscape shoot that in your backyard shoot that at the range shoot that at wherever you can do it that's one of the best things you can practice well i hope you guys enjoyed that little mini series on pronghorn hunting i got a lot of great response on guys enjoying those tips and talking about their pronghorn hunts coming up it is one of the most fun hunts out there. If you get a chance to do it, definitely do it. You know, it can take a while to figure it out, to get in the rhythm, but when it all comes together, the success is so sweet, especially when it comes to bow hunting pronghorns, spot and stock or however. They are an absolutely fun animal to hunt. They're extremely tasty and they're really cool looking. So one of my favorite hunts every year is chasing pronghorn. So I hope you guys get a chance. If you get some success and you want to share that with me, I appreciate it. You can always share it social media at Remy Warren. Um, you can send me a message or, or tag me in a post, whatever. I really appreciate that. As always, I thank you guys that have subscribed to the podcast. 
Those of you that have subscribed to the newsletter, thank you guys. We, we've been sending out a lot of cool stuff. There's a lot of great prizes in there. For those of you that don't know, there's always some good prizes in my emails. We've got some other ones coming out. We try to do, I try to do a couple a month with some really good prizes. So thank you guys. The, the Father's Day video has been received really well. And I got a new video coming out here, kind of journeying or not journeying, but more chronicling the experience that I went through learning to shoot with a mouth tab last season. It's called biting the arrow, kind of like biting the bullet, but biting the arrow, just in a very literal sense, biting and drawing back. And so it kind of walks through the season in a chronological order, goes through some of the things that I learned and, and some of that stuff. I think it's a really fun one. I'm actually premiering it today at Tough Fest in Bozeman, Montana. You can do a live Q&A there, but you can go on my YouTube channel and there's there'll be a preview for it until it uh, you can set a reminder so you can watch it when it comes live. If you guys don't subscribe to my YouTube channel, please do. I appreciate it. I thank you guys so much for all the support in various ways. If you liked what I talked about, about pronghorn hunting, Outdoor Class has a new course on pronghorn hunting from Randy Newberg. I haven't watched all of it, but I've got to watch some of it. And I really enjoyed some of the things that he's talked about. Some of it's similar, similar things that I've been talking about. But if you really want to dive more into pronghorn hunting and see some good visuals of some hunts and other things, Outdoor Class has that for you. There's so many different courses on there. We're getting ready to launch another one of my courses. As always, you can use code LIVEWILD for a discount on that. I know I've, I've talked to a lot of people that they're like between the podcast and Outdoor Class they've just gained a wealth of knowledge. And I think a combination of those two things will help you be a lot more successful. So thank you guys for all of you that have taken part of that. It's been a lot of fun to do those and put those together. I put a lot of time into those things. So I'm really looking forward to the launch of this next one. We're almost done with it. It's just, it's not a one day process. There's a lot of, a lot that I put into it, a lot that the editing portion gets put into it all the graphics and other things. So it's a very high value production. If you haven't checked it out, it's definitely worth checking out. So you can use code LiveWild for that as always. I thank you guys so much. And until next week, I'm just going to say, keep your eye on the prairie. I don't know where that came from. One day I'm just going to plan out an ending and it'd be really cool. But today's not that day. 